subscription economy is booming and a growing number of consumers is willing to pay a monthly fee to stream music and series, to play games or even to get razor blades delivered to their doorsteps. More and more companies are adopting these as-a-service models, where literally everything is being offered as a service. And this evolution is reshaping the economy. Rather than selling a product just once, companies opt for a subscription model to ensure a constant and increasing revenue stream. But how resilient is this business model? In today's podcast, I talk with Walid Azar Atala about the opportunities that the subscription economy offers to investors. Walid is Senior Portfolio Manager at Thematics Asset Management, a part of Natex's Investment Managers. Walid, welcome. It's great to have you. It's good to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. Wonderful to have you. Walid, in this next half hour or so, we're going to take a deep dive into the subscription economy. Uh, but let's kick things off maybe with a bit of a personal question. What is the subscription that you are most attached to? It is honestly hard to pick one. Um, I'm subscribed to many services, but if I have to pick one, I'll put Netflix. I've been a subscriber since 2014, since it launched in France, and I don't expect to cancel my subscription anytime soon. I mean, no day passes without me uh, using Netflix. I think it's the same for most of us, if I'm not mistaken. And it's really convenient. Right there with you. <laughs> I, I would say Netflix too. I love it. <laughs> exactly. I guess it's it's really convenient. You can use it, I mean, on the bus, and when you're commuting, on the plane, when you're at home, on whatever platform you want. And this is what we're looking for, basically. Like entertainment wherever we are, whenever we want. And this is basically it. And this is why I like the service. And I guess there are lots of other services. Uh, if you think, you can think about YouTube Music, for instance, or Spotify. Uh, and all of that is not really possible without also your subscription to the internet. So if I have to pick one, it's really tough. I, I don't think I'm able to do that. Right. But but if we're talking Netflix, any recent tips that you have? Uh, I'm actually watching uh, Family Guy. It's a series I always watch. Uh, Family Guy, it's Modern a classic. Family, exactly. I mean, the, those funny series. You know, when you work in finance, sometimes you need to go back and you need to just distress. Chill in the end. <laughs> I get yeah. it. Um, maybe to take things back, just just one step. So, can you explain to us what the subscription economy actually entails? Well, how, what do we, how do we define subscription economy? It's basically those businesses that offer their products and services uh, under the form of a subscription. So basically, you pay a subscription that is weekly, monthly, even quarterly, semi-annual or annual. And in return of that, you get a full access to a product or a service. Uh, so basically... You would just talked about Netflix. I mean, subscriptions are everywhere. It could be your gym club. It could be your internet providers. I don't, I think us as consumer, if you look at the end of the month at your, I mean, your bank account, you're going to see a, a plethora of subscription you're paying and we expect them just to increase. So I don't think subscription is something that's really um, um, dif difficult to understand from a consumer point of view. No, right. Now, you mentioned it already, and we see a lot of growth in subscriptions, specifically in that entertainment sector. But which other sectors could maybe show a similar growth uh, using that subscription-based uh, business model? 
Right. Uh, the entertainment sector is really, uh, I'm going to say, inclined towards the consumer. Uh, and we talked about Netflix and Spotify. They have changed the landscape of the entertainment uh, industry itself. Uh, they spearheaded the change. But if you dig a bit deeper, you will find some companies that offer subscription uh, for uh, enterprises, mainly in the cloud uh, space, in the software as a service, in the platform as a service space, and even in the information service space. Um, and this, uh, us, for us, we work in finance. For instance, we cannot live without our, our, you know, our daily tools, such as Bloomberg, such as those information providers. It's a sector that has been booming, and uh, we can cite several examples in in that space uh, that are that have seen some phenomenal growth over the last couple of years. So, Ali, let's talk a bit more about um, market drivers. Um, I know that my monthly Netflix subscription is paid in advance. Uh, maybe you can elaborate a bit more on the financial model behind subscription companies and the benefits that this model offers, for example, in terms of revenue, uh, working capital, profitability. I think the main difference lies in the business model itself. It's not really uh, on, on the working capital or or other metrics, if you want. Uh, subscription, by definition, offer a high visibility over the future uh, revenues that a company will get. So if you compare it uh, with a traditional business, simply from a valuation point of view, a traditional business, let's say this uh, company sells a, a product's worth $100 for a year. So um, it has no visibility over how many products it will sell over the, the next upcoming years. So if you have to value it, the actual value of the company would be $100. Now, let's take the example of a company that operates in a subscription model and it has kind of some visibility. It's, it has kind of a certainty that it will have some future revenue. And let's suppose this company sells services for $100 and has a renewal rate of those subscription of 75%. So this company is almost certain to have 75% in revenues in the year two and then 75% of $75 in the year three and so on and so on. And then if you if you just actualize the value of that company, you would end up with a value that's something north of $300. And this is really us investors rewarding this visibility. It's something that's key. And you just talked about really what's the main, um, you want strength of that model, is that visibility will give you, uh, how do you say that, some flexibility in, in the way you deploy capital. Being um, being that close also to your clients makes you under, understand your client, makes you much more efficient in how you're going to invest in R&D, perfect your, your product and services in a way where you're going to have some uh, very strong operation leverage and become much more profitable than a traditional business over the long term. I think one of the points you just mentioned is really key because the subscriptions need to be renewed, right? That is crucial to the whole business model. If they're not renewed, it's it's not as interesting, I can imagine. Um, how do companies prevent customers from cancelling on their subscriptions? Exactly. So basically, you're talking about limiting churn, maximizing the renewal rate. Exactly. And this is... This is fundamental for any any company that just wanna wanna embark into the subscription model, and you have to put the subscriber at the heart of your offering. And what you want is a product. I mean, what subscri subscribers want is a product and a service that basically meets their demand. And their demand are ever changing. You know, with 
technological advance with uh, the change, changes in be, um, consumer behavior, uh, you need to adapt to that. What consumer wants in the end, what are they need, uh, is a product that's convenient, uh, that has good value uh, for, for the services you're getting. So we talked about Netflix being convenient, you can use, or use it wherever, but if Netflix is more expensive than it, what, what it has to offer, then in that case, it wouldn't be interesting for me as a consumer. Maybe another point of view uh, is that consumers do not like add-ons. They, what they like is a one-stop shop. You pay for one subscription and you have kind of an all-you-can-eat model. You can access, uh, I mean, you can consume as much of, um, as you want of a, of a certain service. And another point also I might say would be the product can sometimes be personalized. It can offer a personalized experience. Take the example of Spotify. It might uh, propose to you songs based on what you listen to prior to that. Um, this is something that's really interesting, again, for the client, and this is what the client needs. And in the end, uh, as I said before, we live in an ever-changing world. The company should be able to meet with uh, those changing trends, the new innovation, and what's going on actually with you know the, the new, I mean, the new trends going on in the society. If a company is able to meet all of that point and putting the consumer at the heart of their offering, not only they will reduce churn, if you want, what they would be able to do is to add more and more uh, subscribers to their cohort. And and for us as consumers, you just indeed, you want to get it as simple as you can get it, you know, easygoing and, and, and very straightforward. So it doesn't take any effort to uh, to, to stay registered. Um, let, let's chat a bit more uh, maybe about your investment strategy, uh, Walid, because uh, which conditions do you look at for the companies in your investment universe in terms of uh, revenue growth, maybe return on equity, market capital, etc.? Well, I guess the obvious one for, for us, it would, uh, it would be to look at the revenue. What we need are companies that have a significant chunk of their revenue that stems from subscription. And again, I'm going to re-mention the simplest of example, which is Netflix, that has probably 99% of its revenue that's stemming from subscription. So here, if a company meets this criteria, it is directly um, uh, included in our investment universe. But the thing is, I mean, if you just think like this, it would be a simplistic manner to, to look at companies and you might miss some other business models that are really interesting. Um, sometimes we look at profitability itself. Um, if you consider that a company might have some small revenue stemming, um, a small percentage of revenue stemming from um, uh, subscription, sometimes if you look under the hood, so you just delve deep into the company, you might find that a bigger, a much more significant chunk of revenues uh, of profitability, sorry, might stem from um, subscription. It's the case of a company called Costco. Costco, which is uh, a, an American company, it's a club warehouse company where you have to pay membership in order to enter those warehouses and be able to buy whatever consumer goods you have at a discounting price, discounted price, sorry. And the idea is that those membership represents less than 3% of the sale of the company. But when you look at the operating profit, it's more than two-thirds of the operating profit. So here, directly, again, this company, it's a no-brainer. It goes directly into our investment universe. And th I mean, those two are really uh, quantitative, if you want, um, aspects that enables us to, uh, to add a company or not. But there's a more also, if you want, philosophical way of adding a company is just to look at those names that are transitioning into subscription. Those names that are leaders, despite subscription being really small within uh, their business mix, they have... Um, um, the subscription segment has a, a much faster growth rate than the rest of the businesses. 
And here I'm going to pinpoint one example, which is, I mean, it's a, it's a fairly known company. It's Walt Disney. So Walt Disney, uh, maybe 18 months back, I mean, maybe they had less than 3% of the revenue that was stemming by, from, from subs. And what they did as they roll out Disney+, Plus, another streaming platform for which I'm subscribed to, by the way, um, <laughs> they, they, they reached more than 116 million uh, users as of the last quarter. And what's impressive is that they went from kind of 0% of subscription revenue to more than 33%. So this again... Those are the companies we're trying to look for. I mean, this is where the, the value lies. Uh, if you want for us as investors, this is where we get our added values. But you just mentioned also other maybe uh, characteristics, market cap or all that. We have a philosophy where our investment strategy is really an unconstrained strategy. So the idea is for us to not really focus on market caps. Uh, it's not important for us as long as the stocks are liquid. And also we don't have any particular geographical focus. So if you want to you want to find the gems of tomorrow, you need to look everywhere and really be specialized in your theme and understand all the aspects of it. Um, the the revenue model, like you said, of a subscription-based model is uh, very different from that of a more traditional uh, company. Does it then also require a different set of metrics to value uh, those companies? Listen, in the end, we are still uh, working with companies and we're still in the financial world. We obviously look at the traditional metrics, that's for sure. But... As you said, uh, it's, uh, what you said is really uh, true. Uh, we have some other sorts of metrics that are uh, really fundamental to evaluate uh, a, a company that operates in a subscription model. First of all, we talked about churn. Churn is um, how we implicitly uh, measure the visibility over the revenue. So the higher the churn, the lower the, 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 lower the revenue, the, the lower the churn, the higher the recurring revenue. Com uh, companies have to keep that churn at the, low, at the lower possible to fully enjoy, if you want, the benefits of the subscription model. This is the main metric. This is what we, we spent our days trying to monitor because it gives us kind of a, a gauge about the, the, the business health of a, of, a, of a company. And then you have two other metrics. The first is what we call the LTV, so the lifetime value of a customer. And the LTV is basically how much revenue you as a consumer would bring over your lifetime to a company as long as you're subscribed to. So if you're subscribed on average 25 months to Netflix, your lifetime value would be 25 months 12, times the $12 you pay to Netflix. And companies have to maximize that. They have to try and, and innovate constantly, try to upsell to their clients, try to increase their, pre their price in a way where, um, I mean, as I said before, they still provide enough value with regards to that price. And on the opposite side, you have another metric that's called the CAC, the Customer Acquisition Cost. This is basically what a company is paying you know, in terms of marketing, so you get to know the new series that's on Netflix, or in terms of overhead expense, so you send, uh, I don't know, you have sales that are uh, selling your product to enterprises and all that. So it's it's always a question of balancing between the LTV and CAC in a way where companies, for them to be able to to thrive under the subscription model, what should they should do is maximize LTV, lower the CAC, and minimize the churn. And when you do that, you have a very well-oiled machine in order to, you know, strive on the long term and become like to remain a leader on your segment and become a highly profitable company. Mm. Uh, we, we spoke about the entertainment uh, sector, Walid. I, I just wonder in which market segments uh, is the main focus of, of your investment strategy and, and, and why? 
Well, we see subscription almost in every, you know, traditional sector. Uh, as long as a company sells a sells a subscription, it's I mean, we're interested in a segment that that it, it's in. Uh, the way we look at it actually is just with that we separate between the B2C and the B2B businesses. And for myself, I was surprised because I, I, I came from uh, from the consumer side of investment, uh, and I was surprised to see so many B two B companies uh, involved in in the subscription model. But if we have to do to to look from the scope of the consumer, the main segments you will find. Obviously, the streaming players. You mentioned at the beginning uh, the video games. So we have the console manufacturers that are selling now subscriptions, the video game de developers that are shifting more and more towards this Netflix model. You have the gym and fitness clubs. Obviously, you, you, I mean, this is in the real economy. These businesses were born as subscription uh, subscription models. The same could be said about telecom operators. Uh, internet providers, and now we see more and more businesses and segments adopting this uh, this model. Uh, in the connected fitness, for instance, uh, we have even ski resort operators that are now based on subscription, and even healthcare companies. So it's it's really an ever changing world. It's a living world, if you want. This is more on the on the B two C side, uh, but if you look at the B two B, and here you find another plethora of of industries. I mean, both of us use Microsoft Outlook and Excel, so. This is the first one. So office uh, office softwares are part of it. And I, I guess most of the sales in our companies also use uh, CRMs uh, in order to manage them, their their client fleet. Uh, we, we, our companies can use marketing services, information providers, as I mentioned before, Bloomberg's uh, or, or all that. It could be in the financial field, in the legal field, in the medical field, uh, in the healthcare IT field, and even in the ads listing. So again, <laughs> I mean... It's not really restricted. It's really a wide subject. And as long as we find subscription, it's a segment that would be of interest for us. Wow. Yeah. So clearly a lot of capital going into this uh, subscription economy. Uh, does What does that do to the valuation of the sector? Can we maybe speak of a bubble? Uh, obviously, great interest from the investor, great flux of capital. I mean, we're among you know, among those investors that are really interested by the success, if you want, of, of this this business model. And uh, I, I don't think you can talk of a bu bubble. Uh, I mean, it would be unfair to put all subscription uh, businesses within the same basket. But you have companies that have lofty, uh, stretched valuation, if you want. And this is because, by definition, what we mentioned before is that subscription-based companies have higher valuation. They can justify a premium because they have health. Usually, they have healthier business models, healthier uh, perspectives in terms of growth, healthier balance sheet, and if eventually, uh, this drives them to have higher profitability, higher visibility, which justifies, uh, in our view, this premium in terms of valuation. So, I would exclude uh, the word bubble. Uh, particularly for the subscription economy universe. And we shouldn't, again, look at all the company in the same basket because you might have some undervalued um, companies within our universe still. Hmm. Maybe as a final question, how resilient do you think the subscription economy is? And, and are subscription-based businesses more or less cyclical than traditional companies, would you say? Um, that's a very good question. Um, you know, by definition, I'm going to say that subscriptions are defensive. Uh, if you think about it, I mean, as I said before, you have this visibility, you have this sticky uh, client base. So in a way, uh, your, your your sales or your top line is not going to fluctuate as much of it, uh, as a cyclical business. And I think a very simple example to look at that would be just to look at the year 2020. 
what happened is that we had a pandemic. We went into a lockdown. I mean, you stayed at home. I stayed at home. <laughs> Everybody can do anything. But what happened is nobody um, nobody cut uh, their subscription to Netflix. Nobody cut their subscription to Bloomberg or Microsoft Office. Everybody kept that and even added more for some businesses, added new, new customers. Other maybe lost a bit. But if you look at the universe all in all, I'm going to say 2020 was a normal year for the subscription economy. But now if you look at a more traditional business, I don't think you went to the to a restaurant during the pandemic. I don't think you took <laughs> I don't think you took an airplane. So those companies saw their their sales figures tend to almost zero. So this is where you see there's no cyclicality. There's little cyclicality, I'm gonna say, in the subscription economy business, but it's definitely much more defensive than the traditional business. That's based on, you know, the linear selling model. Thank you so much for this conversation, Walid. I'm, I'm definitely going to remember our conversation when I'm turning on the Netflix again tonight. <laughs> very, <laughs> very insightful. Uh, I learned a lot. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for listening to a podcast about the opportunities that the subscription economy offers to investors. I would like to thank today's guest, Walid Azar Atala, Senior Portfolio Manager at Thematics Asset Management, for his time and his insights. This podcast is offered to you by Netexas Investment Managers. For more podcasts, please visit the Fonts News website, fondsnews.nl, if you are based in the Netherlands. Or if you're located in Belgium, please visit the Investment Officer website, investmentofficer.be. This material has been provided for information purposes only to investment service providers or other professional clients or qualified investors and when required by local regulation only at their written request. This material must not be used with retail investors. It is the responsibility of each investment service provider to ensure that the offering or sale of fund shares or third-party investment services to its clients complies with the relevant national law. In the Netherlands, this material is provided by Nantixis Investment Managers SA or its branch office, Nantixis Investment Managers Netherlands. Nantixis Investment Managers SA is a Luxembourg management company that is authorized by the Commission de Surveillance du Secteur Financier and is incorporated under Luxembourg laws and registered under NB 115843. Registered office of Nantixis Investment Managers SA is 2 Rue Jean Monet, L. 2180 Luxembourg, Grand Duchy of Luxembourg. Netherlands, Natixis Investment Managers Netherlands. Registration number 507746770. Registered office, Stats Plateau 73521AZ, Utrecht, the Netherlands. The above referenced entities are business development units of Natixis Investment Managers, the holding company of a diverse lineup of specialized investment management and distribution entities worldwide. The investment management subsidiaries of Natixis Investment Managers conduct any regulated activities only in and from the jurisdictions in which they are licensed or authorized. Their services and the products they manage are not available to all investors in all jurisdictions. Although Natixis Investment Managers believes the information provided in this material to be reliable, including that from third-party sources, it does not guarantee the accuracy, adequacy, or completeness of such information. The provision of this material and or reference to specific securities sectors or markets within this material does not constitute investment advice or a recommendation or an offer to buy or to sell any security or an offer of services. Investors should consider the investment objectives, risks and expenses of any investment carefully before investing. 
the analyses, opinions, and certain of the investment themes and processes referenced herein, represent the views of the portfolio managers, as of the date indicated. These, as well as the portfolio holdings and characteristics shown, are subject to change. There can be no assurance, that developments will transpire as may be forecasted in this material. This material may not be distributed published or reproduced in whole or in part. All amounts mentioned, are expressed in US dollars, unless otherwise indicated.